G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Round 7 preview edition of the Footyology Podcast. The uh, marathon has finished, or the mini marathon, 10 days of football in 11, back to normality. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, no, I'm 100% certain I'm right. This is the first round where we have the accepted normal schedule of one game Friday night, uh, five games on Saturday and three on Sunday. And uh have to be honest, as I say a very good morning to my co-host Mark Fine, it's taken a toll. Yeah, look, it uh, was a bit of a football marathon without Peter Landy. I've got... <laughs> but the crappy ads. <laughs> uh, first of all, this is not a crappy ad, this is a great ad. Andrew's Hamburgers. 144 Bridport Street in Albert Park, 80 years young this year. And keep listening. In fact, I'd say on Sunday, we're going to give you a couple of competitions and ways to win some limited edition Andrews attire and also be in the running for a lunch with the football. What would you describe us as? A couple of dead birds. The, the, the football curmudgeons, Fine and Connolly. Yes. Not bad, hey? Yes. Yeah. Oh, actually. Yeah, and uh, Andrews, you you know, all you can eat for you and a mate or you and a girlfriend or you and an enemy. It doesn't really matter. Uh, so, lunch for four. My my waistline is burgeoning already, Fine, but oh, what a way to burgeon. And also Nick Spartels and Hardwick Build Co., the builders... In that area, Albert Park, South Melbourne, Port Melbourne, St Kilda as well. Builders to the stars. To the football stars. Pendlebury, Heppel and Sheehan. And more. I'll get more. There are other football. Get the full list. Yeah, I will. I shall do. All right, before we get into it, I, I just I just thought of this off the top. Um, I'd like to say a big thanks again to everyone who listens and support us, supports us. Um, last year... Finally, I was posting the odd episode of our podcast on Big Footy, um, which yep. uh, we're both familiar with. It's a very good fan forum, Big Footy, and uh, a lot of learned people on there, and I enjoy trawling through it. And It's pronounced learned. What? That's from The Simpsons. Learned. <laughs> a deal, this little kid stays with The Simpsons in a student in a student exchange, he's from Romania, and he goes, oh, Papa Homer, you're so learned, and Homer goes, it's, uh, you're so learned, and Homer goes, it's learned. It's le- <laughs> <laughs> um, now, uh, anyway, I, I posted um, a few episodes last year, and uh, I haven't done it this year for whatever reason, I've got 5,000 other things to do. Anyway, I, I did notice the thread has continued, a few people posting the odd thing. Um, and someone uh, actually, I think it, I think it was uh, Wagstaff, as opposed to called Wagstaff. So Stuart, um, and it's not Stuart. Was he in the ad for Wee Willem? 
Willem who? No, I don't think so. Just Bill Collins on that. Uh, anyway, he was on Beauty and the Beast and all those sort of celebrity panel Blankety things. Blankety Blanks. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Blankety Blanks. Um, how is this? We've got a tangent we haven't even started yet. Um, anyway, Wagstaff uh, thought there was a bit of tension between us last week when um, I was hurrying you up all the time. That's okay. And no. uh, and you were making fat jokes. So can... can this week, I'll hurry you, and I'll, I'll, I'll put on plenty of weight. So. Can I assure you, Wagstaff, I'm okay with fat jokes. Uh, and this, I need to be hurried up. Uh, I, I am fat, and uh, I will do something about it, but I'm not at the moment. And finally, you would concede freely that I you need do to be need hurried. to be hurried up. Yeah. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, today it's me that needs to be hurried up. Um, so uh, let's get into it. On Footyology Newsfeed. Breaking exclusive. I can reveal exclusively on the Newsfeed segment that we have some news. And here it is. Uh, actually, we don't. We, we have a couple of ongoing topics um, that are worth talking about. And the re- and the important re-signing of GWS. Well, that was going to be the main one I yep. brought up. So Josh Kelly uh, signed another two-year deal. Um, I've got a theory about this. How, how important is that for GWS, do you think? I think it's very important because he's done it early in the season and he's thrown the challenge out to other players who are yet to re-sign. Steve Canilio is one of them, uh, being courted by home state clubs, Fremantle and West Coast, as well as some Victorian teams. We know Hawthorne has been linked with him. Uh, Adam Tomlinson being courted by St Kilda. So there's a few players that Josh Kelly has thrown the challenge out to, and an early re-signing helps sign others. Yeah, well, I guess that's what I wanted to talk about. Does it? Or do we just? is that just sort of one of those truths, in inverted commas, that we... Because, I don't know, when these sorts of stories come up, I always go back to Brisbane and Geelong, and they were two cases where sides had sustained success... And players were able to be persuaded to sign for less than they would have got elsewhere with the lure of team success. Now, um, GWS, we know that they've been around the mark, but they haven't actually had that success yet. Plus, I would say there's um, two bigger factors at work with them than there were with those other two dynasties. Uh, One is that... There's a lot of players around the same age and around the same talent mark, so opportunities for a number of young players who are right in that zone, right for the picking in terms of their their profile. There's more of them, so that makes it tougher. And the other one is that, and I, I can't remember where I heard this discussion, but it was a good one. It was about the um, the go-home factor, and I think... It looms larger for GWS than it did for, well, than it does for the Western Australian or South Australian clubs, certainly, and perhaps even Brisbane back in the early 2000s, because it's not football territory and these players really miss the atmosphere. I know know how it came up because Tom Lynch was talking about, we know that Dylan, for Dylan Shield going to Essendon, the lure of Anzac Day was big and. Tom Lynch um, was talking to teammates about how excited he was about the Anzac Day Eve game against Melbourne. Um, so they they sort of miss that footy environment, and that is something that isn't necessarily the case to the same extent in Adelaide or Perth. My third one, and this is this could be 
feel free to shoot it down. But I have a feeling that given those two factors, that if GWS does win a flag, rather than persuade people to stay, that might actually tempt them to leave. Okay, let's go through a few of those points that you brought up. First of all, the initial point that there are a lot of players the same age, talented players that um, it's hard to keep them all satisfied. Mm. I think we've um, passed that point. Now, to me, GWS has a a list not dissimilar to other teams. Until this year, I agree entirely that there was this bunch of very talented players and they sort of squeezed out others as a result. But I think now it's a pretty normal list and uh, really, the ones that are missing out are not players that are just going to be snapped up automatically by other clubs. You, you reckon? Yeah. Or, or do we just not know about them? Oh no, I think I think they're pretty much they're they're if just looking at the makeup of the list, I think they're pretty um, typical of an AFL list now. Yeah, they've been well and truly cultivated. Don't worry about that. That's number one. Now the next issue of the players wanting to go home, I think, and I, I really believe that, except it's like it's like the Monash Freeway at 8am. All the traffic is inbound and you get a dribble of cars outbound. Yeah. And that really, to me, is commensurate with the amount of players that want to play in an environment where AFL football is virtually not talked about, where they are invisible compared, you know, of course, we famously had Tony Lockett happy to go to Sydney because he didn't want anybody, you know, happy for the anonymity. Yeah. But most young footballers, you see, what they'll say publicly is, I want to play in front of the big crowds. I love the atmosphere. You know, I want to play in the big games. But don't worry. They don't mind during the week going to the cafe and, you know, everybody recognising them. And that's... Tom Lynch, that's Tom Lynch. For, you know, they're young players playing the national game with an ego, with a big wage and with big ability. And most of them do not want to be invisible throughout their career. Well, a lot of that's going on in the media too. Apparently, I heard that when you were at Andrews Hamburgers during the week, there was a whole lot of people going, it's Mark Fine. Yeah. No, they said, that's Finey. And I said, I used to be. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) go on. (laughs) But... Yeah, so believe me, believe you, me. Believe, yep, I think I know. A lot of the players that are leaving GWS, uh, you know, want to be, want to have the lifestyle seven days a week that is equal with being a top footballer. Mm. It's no fun, but really, wouldn't you think if you're a champion footballer, you know, you'd get a free coffee with your morning croissant or. Maybe you have to wait a little bit less at the fish and chip shop like KB used to. We shouldn't. No, I'm, I'm just joking. But I'm just saying it's nice to be recognised. Is it? Yeah, I think uh, for young people playing, you know, a game where in Melbourne they'd be fated. There's, yeah. Between being hounded out of public life yeah, yeah. like a Dane Swan, compare that to not being recognised at all. And I think somewhere in between is where the players want to be. And you get none of that in the west of Sydney. So are you agreeing with me? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They want to come home, but not for the big crowds. Yeah. That's a, you know, that sounds right. Yeah. 
What, what about my theory about a flag might make them more likely that, to leave? That was sort of the hope of North Melbourne and St Kilda chasing Kelly. Mm. Get your flag and then leave. Yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd say that history suggests no. Mm. You enjoy those good times together. What, what was I watching? Oh, yeah, I saw the Andrew Simons interview on that one-on-one cricket. You know, the cricket interviews on... Uh, Robert Craddock? Yeah. Yeah. And he said that they were great times playing for Australia because we had so much success. Yeah. There's, it's great fun sharing in wins. Yeah. Once you have those bonding moments, I think that solidifies a team rather than breaks it up. All right. Okay. So that's clearly the the biggest news story uh, of the day. Another one that keeps bubbling away, and it has for a few weeks really sort of blew up on Anzac Day, I guess, um, is the whole umpiring thing and this sort of belief that the umpires aren't getting the sort of support that they'd like from the AFL. And we saw Sean Ryan come out and explain those decisions during Anzac Day. Um, I've got to be honest, actually, his, his explanation about some of those decisions confused me more rather than cleared it up because he 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 um someone brought this up with me the other day he gave the impression that if a player doesn't have prior opportunity an attempt to dispose of the ball is good enough but i would argue that's not the case because even if you don't have prior opportunity if you're tackled and don't handball the ball you throw it that's still a throw it doesn't get cancelled no, out no. by the fact you haven't had prior opportunity. No, if you've got no prior opportunity and you make a genuine attempt yeah. to get rid of it and it's an illegal disposal, it's play on. But, yeah, uh, okay. You can't, and, you can't have no prior opportunity then intentionally throw it. Exactly. Well, that's what I'm saying. You can't do that. And but, the examples he cited, the one which is relevant to that was Will Hoskin Elliott, and it looked for all the world like a throw. He, in fact, said that he did actually get a tiny little yeah, handball yep. on it. So he sort of gave an explanation that appeared to address those things, but it actually wasn't the case. So um, I hope that makes sense. Anyway, this whole concept of the umpires not being given enough support by the AFL, what do you make of that? All right. Now, having umpired quite a few years until recently, uh, the one th- first of all, the notion that players were stopping so the umpires must be wrong is ridiculous. Mm. Play to the whistle. A, play to the whistle, but B, you learn very quickly, even at the top level, I'm sure, that players don't make great umpires while they're playing. Now, here's what's... What about when the captains used to award the free kicks? That happened for three games, I reckon. (laughs) Melbourne, it was Scotch grammar versus... You know, they were very early games. Okay. Here is... In fact, I saw... I was watching some old football. There was footage from 1881. There was a newspaper article... Footage? There was a newspaper article yeah. and sketches from okay. the newspaper. There was newspaper articles yeah. of a group of women attacking, and there was a, a drawing with umbrellas, an umpire in a Collingwood versus South Melbourne game in wow. the VFA. Was the, was the match report written by Kickaroo? No, Spyglass. Oh, okay. uh, so, all right, let's get a couple of things straight. You go to the football now. And, you know, there's that, always they're putting the thing up on the scoreboard, report any offensive behaviour. Yeah. There's a number of attendants there. You've got to be very careful. So everyone reports the umpires? Well, here's the thing. If, if you are abusing the opposition players or club or fans, that's considered inciting trouble. Yeah. 
So really, the only time that fans are comfortable venting and going hysterical is at the umpires because mm. both sets of fans can accept that. Yeah. So we've got this focus on umpire hate from the crowd. Yeah. We might touch on it in Media Watch. They're getting no assistance from the commentary box. Yeah. Sometimes ill, ill-informed and ill, ill thought. Well, oh, they're, not... they're soft targets. Yeah, they're, they are soft targets. Yeah. And I just want something to be made very clear. Our game, Australian rules football, has certain decisions that are black and white, mm. and umpires need to get them right. And then there is a a, a heavy concentration of decisions that are interpretive, right? Well, which is the absolute uh, bulk of Correct. the decisions. I'm saying the bulk, like the bulk of the, holding, far more than other holding the ball, yeah, hold, yeah, you know, yeah. those sort of things, etc., yeah. etc. Et yeah. So the reality is, if you're watching that game and you barrack for one of the teams. You're always going to want your those ones that are open to interpretation. Mm. You're always going to, you know, if if they're fifty fifty, then it's you think it should go to your team. Mm. It's really got to be a twenty eighty or something before you concede it. So you just get this irrational belief from football fans that umpires cost them the game. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. generally, football fans will say when watching a game that their team's not playing in, that the umpire was okay. Doesn't that say something? Yeah, well, I, I, I just get so tired of the discussion because, A, there's nothing you can do about it. B, unless you're an idiot, you don't seriously think that there's a conspiracy or that umpires deliberately Correct. don't favour one Correct. team. And and I think even those people in their more rational moments would concede that's the case. Three, the fact that, so many decisions are about interpretation means that it's a more difficult game to umpire. Um, and to be honest, look, so I was there on Anzac Day. I was working, I guess, which makes a bit of a difference. But the game finished and I honestly, I'm an Essen supporter and I honestly didn't come away sort of thinking, oh, we, we were crucified. I, I thought, okay, we, you know, we didn't get the rub of the green. But that happens, you of know. Of it happens. And, and really the most... The most one of the most important decisions when Essendon's way late in the last quarter, that decision in the forward pocket. You could say. The, oh, the uh, free kick to Bagley yeah. for interference from Langdon. Yeah, yeah, Essendon got the rub of the green on that one. Yeah, so yeah. it's timing and. Place. But it's just such a pointless discussion, Correct. isn't it? Now, you know what really sort of frustrates me in it. What? Well, we'll touch on media watch here, and then we won't go to media watch. Now, Monday night, that is, which is talking footy. Is that the one with Caroline and uh, No, it's Footy Classified. Footy Classifieds. Oh, sorry. Footy Classified subtitled for people pretending to be angry with each other. Okay. Is it, now, one of them is Matthew Lloyd. Yeah, except Lloydy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really Three respect, people I, pretending to be angry with each other and Matthew Lloyd. I respect everything that comes out of Lloydy's mouth because it's good. Oh, great. So do I. Except he said something on Monday night that a lot of even – wiser heads sometimes say, and it, it doesn't make any sense. And that is, he was asked about the umpiring, and he said, look, I don't want to bag the umpires, but I just think for the first six rounds of the year, they haven't had a great start. This hasn't been their best start to the season. Now, that's what people all are constantly saying. They never compliment umpires. Well, hang on. If this hasn't been a great start to the season, give me the year that they have had a yeah, great yeah, start. Yeah, 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 where's yeah, the, yeah. Where's the... It, it needs to for every the same the for, same points are made yeah, every year. I'm saying, but but if the umpiring's worse, tell me when it was better. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, and they can't. Yeah, no, not one person in the history. But well, of if you go back to the year that was better, I bet you I can get people saying it's worse. Yeah, or I remember that great year of seventy eight. Yeah, they exactly. Go, yeah, That's no, right. it doesn't. It doesn't happen. Yeah. And and I, I criticism mine... must come come criticism must come hand in hand with praise. Yeah, and I I think there are patches where there are a series of games where there's controversial decisions and whatever, but. I honestly believe in no year since I've been watching footy have I thought, oh, the umpiring was terrible this year compared to last year. And I bet the percentages of decisions uh, awarded are pretty similar. And they do have have a couple of very difficult interpretations at the moment to deal with. The one that really, to all football fans, doesn't feel right is the player that is going for the ball and then somebody comes late, goes over the top and gets the free kick mm. for below the knees. Yeah, dangerous contact now, or whatever. The umpires have to pay it because that's the rule, but it, it is it makes them instinctively it makes the uh, the experienced football watcher instinctively feel that the umpire is getting yes, it wrong. Yes, they carry the can for something that is in no yes. way their fault. So blame the lawmakers, not them. All right, that's enough for this week. And as of next week, uh, we'll be sponsored by the AFL umpiring department, finally, and everyone else is going to hate our guts. <laughs> oh, that's great. Just one last piece of... Of course. One fact that shows that players... Don't hurry up, Mark. Please go on at your heart's content. Thank you. You're looking svelte today. <laughs> The <laughs> the the one I'll give you a piece of evidence every week in football that shows that players do not know the rules particularly well and are in no position to umpire the game, and that is when the ball is near the goals. How many players are scared of knocking it through for a oh, behind? Oh, no, that's ridiculous. Yeah. They just don't understand that you no, can. No. Well, Aaron Hall was the main one. In the, that was the best example in the uh, North versus Port Adelaide game. He was hemmed up against the goal line with a guy right up his clacker. Yeah. And he, he could have just... Scared. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that so, staggers so if they, me. If they don't know that, why should they be not playing to the whistle? Play to the whistle, boys. That's a very good point. We love you, umpires. Okay, what? let's move on. Footyology Media Watch. Okay, Media Watch. Um, here's a surprise. I'm going to start with a positive and uh, un- unexpected positive. I, I wouldn't have thought last year I would ever have said this. Um, I tend to watch my Friday night footy via the Fox Footy Channel Finey rather than Channel 7 um, for a number of reasons, but the main one is just no ads. Um, but last Friday night, after the uh, totally captivating game between Port Adelaide and North Melbourne, not, uh, for whatever reason, I switched it to Channel 7 and thus caught a bit of roaming Brian. Um, and you know what? I actually enjoyed it. I uh, The format's the same, and it's pretty you know, sort of unscripted, and I think that's why I enjoyed it. I sort of, it, it's sort of a bit old-fashioned in a way, the roving reporter just walking around grabbing people at will, and BT can go a bit sort of, uh, uh, come up with some strange sort of obsessions and stuff, but the concept itself, I quite, I don't, or actually BT, if you're listening, I don't like it when you interrupt people doing an interview, that's not much fun for them. But uh, otherwise, you know, and he so he had chats with various people, and there was the port, I think, dietitian and uh, a number of players, and he had it. There was a thing about uh, Xavier Dersmer and his 
girlfriend and BT seemed sort of quite surprised that he had a, a girlfriend who was still at school. Well, I don't know about you, BT, but uh, some of my best romances were when I was at high school. Um, but but the concept itself, you know, in an age where everything is scripted within, within an inch of its life and everything's packaged and made to look so slick, even if it's actually not, I just enjoy the um, the randomness of that segment and, and the fact that it can't be scripted and just people in a natural, relaxed environment because they've just won talking about whatever so um no uh, credit where it's due I, I think that's one innovation i'm actually quite enjoying yeah i, I like raining bright okay i think it works i'll give you a surprise one now that you've given me a surprise one a, okay a surprise thumbs are up. you going to uh see and raise my surprise you'll be shocked by my praise for a, a football program okay now i qualify this by saying much of the program Still is not working, right? But okay, I know. Can I guess? Yep. The footy show. No. Uh, up the guts. Yep. So they go to a break with some sort of sketches or a bit of you know some pre-work stuff, and I, I, they came up with something really good. I'm surprised it hasn't been done before, but it worked really well. Or wasn't? Okay, so they took on the couch, mm. and they slowed it down. Now, normally when you have slow motion of TV. They take out the audio. Yeah. But they left the audio in and did a few tricks with some, you know, re- some sort of playing things back, 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 back. And it was called On The Source. And it really sounded like especially Brownie and then Rusey were absolutely pie-eyed pissed. <laughs> it was ve- – and Healy, it was actually excellent. So more of that. There's obviously some talent in the team there. More of that. You know what the show really needs? Some self belief. Like, I just get the feeling that they don't um, want to be there. No, they want to be there, but the producer doesn't. No, no, that the host is a bit apologetic for some some of the stuff that goes on. Well, it's probably because he knows he's being shoved down everyone's throats in about fifty eight different forms. Oh, anyhow, I can see a, a glimmer of hope there. Okay, hey, um, just on on the couch, and we talked. To, if you missed it, we wrapped up on the couch a few weeks ago. I think it's doing really well. I told Rosie that on uh, we did the Anzac Day pregame panel together, and uh, I said to pass on our compliments to the chef. Yep. <laughs> um, hang on, what was the point I was going to make here? Oh yeah, that's right. The the sort of uh, sparring between Brownie uh, Jonathan Brown and Gary Lyon. Uh, do we think that's a little little bit contrived, perhaps? Or is it... I don't know. So, I mean, Brownie always does it in a sort of jocular manner, and I can never tell whether he's really stacking it on or whether there's an element of, you know... Yeah, I, think, I think it's put on a little bit. Yeah. Do you think after the show, Brownie goes out and sort of resumes his crochet pattern or something? No. <laughs> no, no. I think you're getting Brownie as... Do you remember Brownie at the All-Australians one, one year? What did he do? Oh, let's just say when, oh, he, he was when he was asked to come Mary? up on stage with the other half forward, the rest of the half forward line. Yeah, I think he fell into one flank and <laughs> <laughs> and and dribbled over the other. Uh, he's a nice guy, Brown. Oh, ripper. Um, oh, speaking of Brown, um, I, I thought this was worth bringing up. Now, uh, people who are on Twitter would probably be privy to this, but. Uh, Tom Brown of Channel 7 fame got a bit of a going over from Jack Rewalt, re the nature of his knee injury, and that was Tom Brown tweeted initially 
that uh, he'd been led to believe that Jack's knee injury was um, reasonably serious and that you know he'd be out for some time. And uh, Jack promptly came back at him and said, uh, come on, Tom, why didn't you just say, I'm, I'm guessing that would have been more accurate? And Tom didn't stand down. He came back and said, uh, well, you know, I, you know, I know people and I talk to people and that's what they reckon. And Rewalt came back with the thing, well, that's amazing because you tweeted that at one thirty, and I didn't have my scan until three pm. <laughs> and I think uh, it was a bit. Da, of, da, da, da. Uh, it was a bit of a gotcha moment, um, and uh, of course, the string of notifications after that was fairly gleeful about that. But um, uh, what do you make of that? Yeah, I, I, Tom Brown is a victim of, but then again, he is a perpetrator of the desperate need for up-and-coming, foot-in-the-door style footy journalists to be first. and Can I just say... You don't uh, need to be first, you need to be right. Yeah, well, that's that's gone way out the window. But And, and I would say too, in, okay, is it in his defence? I suppose it is. I think it's got a lot harder to be a foot-in-the-door, news-breaking football journalist than it was even five years of course ago. It, of course it is, because everybody's got access to social media so anybody can break a story you don't need to be a journalist yeah you know you just find out something and you can be you know johnny on the spot or a a relation or a a nurse or a doctor or something yeah and you you go under your alias on big footy or somewhere else and the story's broken my friend yeah no social media has completely rewritten the rules and you know any exclusive uh uh an online news agency gets is exclusive for fully five minutes until the competitors see it and write something off it. Yeah, exactly. Hey, I've got another one. I've got another one too. <laughs> sure. oh, oh, you go first. Right. Go. Uh, one without notice, but last night, I was watching some old footy last night, I watched a great game on YouTube, <clears throat> St Kilda Fitzroy 1989. <clears throat> Fitzroy won by, what? it was, nine t- oh, it was something like 1918 to 1989. 89, was it? Yeah. Where at? Waverley. Oh, yeah. Fitzroy had a good team. So did St Kilda. I mean, up-and-coming team. But it was a great game. Lockett kicked eight. Osborne kicked six. Ruse was playing. Pert was playing. Well, uh, sorry. Ross uh, Lyon. Sort of on topic. Yeah. I um, That pre-game I did with Ruse, we were talking about Anzac Day, and I reminded him how the, the first Anzac Day game I ever covered was in 1985 for the Sun now the Herald Sun, at Waverley between St Kilda and Fitzroy. I looked up the crowd. Yep. It was like 19,000. Yeah. That was on Anzac Day. Um, and, and it was St Kilda won. And St Kilda won. Yeah, that was after we'd lost three games by 100 points. Do you know who the hero... Oh, was that round four? Oh, it was round four or five. We yeah. might, we, I think we lost three by 100. Yeah. South Melbourne, Carlton and Richmond. Yeah. And then we might have lost to North by 40. Yeah. We were rank outsiders against Fitzroy. And an unlikely hero that day. Oh, so I've covered the game. I should remember. He really was the hero. Um, G. McAdam. Ah, yeah, right. Not Gilbert. No, no. Um, Greg. Greg, yeah. Uh, not Greg. Um, uh, yeah, Greg. Yeah. Greg McAdam. The first McAdam. Uh, there was three, wasn't there? Because there was the one who played for... Uh, and who was the one that played for Sturt? Was that Greg? Well, there was Greg McAdam, Gilbert... Yeah, then, I think Greg was at Sturt yeah. and then went to St Kilda. So, in that game, the Fitzroy-St Kilda game, he's been in the news this week, heavily, in a media watch situation. Who wore number two for Fitzroy? 
He kicked a couple of good goals too. In a media watch situation, number two. For Fitzroy. Uh, in 89? Yep. He's a head honcho at an AFL club. Carl Delona. Correct. So Why has Carl Delona been in the news? Oh, Brad Scott. Oh, the David stuff. King. Well, he, Oh, Shimbona Spirit. Yeah, yeah right. and, and he, he referred to David King as a, you know, a, a sort of a media figure wanting to, you know, ha- have more oxygen, basically. Yeah, yeah. A bit tough. No, I, I a I bit remember, tough on a dual premiership player. Yeah, I remember Carl as a player. He was a neat sort of sentiment from South Australia, wasn't yeah, he? Uh, yeah, yeah. He, he was, ended up at North after Fitzroy. He was. Uh, that was a really good game, and he was quite talented. So eighty nine, yeah, that might have been his first season. So you know who else I remember playing for him then? Um, Kevin Caton. Other, played other, in that game. Otherwise known as Roland Gift, the lead singer of Fine Young Cannabis. Or as I know him, the best dressed man about town. Always <laughs> when I saw Kevin, always Kevin Caton's most famous kick. Um, I did the game against at Geelong Park. at Princess Park, 1989. It's my favourite kick ever. Hit the post, I think. After the siren, scores a level. Yep. And he hit from 50 metres out. Yep. He hit the knob on the post. Yes, I, I covered that game. And what happened the next week to the Cats? They... Got beaten by 140 points? No, they played Hawthorne at the same ground, led by 53 points. And lost? And, yeah, an epic game, the precursor to the 89 grand final. Where are we going? This isn't media watch at all. It's sort of football nostalgia. Now, I did have something to bring up. um, And this is, I'm serious, I got an email during the week on Footyology, and there's an email button there if you're on the website, footyology.com.au. But um, fair to say, and I, sorry, apologies if you're listening. You're probably not, actually, because you said you weren't going to listen anymore. Um, oh. Disgruntled listener who has had enough of the bagging of Caroline Wilson, and I breathed a sigh of relief. He was singling you out for that finding. Oh, that's okay. And it was in what? relation to your anecdote about almost running her over. <laughs> Yeah, well, I didn't. I did not run her over. <laughs> well, and it made—I I think it made me look better because I then followed up with a story about her almost running me over in the same spot yeah. one day. Uh, no, uh, no, you don't have to square off. You don't have to square no, off. No, but, and and I, I want to say actually, this person probably isn't listening now, but I I want to defend you here, Finey, because um, we've both been very critical of Caro at stages, but I think our criticisms are fairly mutual in terms of the. Overall, the emphasis on the machinations and politics of the game, rather than a genuine sort of passionate love of the game. If I had to write, if I had to write, let's say she was in AFL Encyclopedia of Footballers. Yeah, you know there was a journalist section. Yeah, I'd write Caroline Wilson. I put the years, um, trailblazing female journalist, who, who at times received justified criticism for focusing on non-playing issues, but overall should be, you know, is is well-renowned or will be well-remembered as the fe- as a female journalist that matched and bettered many of her counterparts in a time well before uh, this sort of move to equality in covering football. So now there's plenty of female journalists, but she was a trailblazer yeah, and she had no favours, made her own way and has done it courageously no, ab- absolutely. and yeah. professionally, absolutely. successfully. Yeah, no, I, I would concur with every word you've said there. The other thing, point I'd make too is that 
um, uh, people have often said to me over the years, oh, well, the newspaper editors, they love her so much. Well, there's an obvious reason for that because her, you know, in my entire career, I've never worked with anyone who had a better skill at being able to extract information from people, information that they probably didn't want revealed, which, let's be honest, that's what a, a lot of journalism's about. And if I was a sports editor staring at a, a blank back page of a sports section, you know, with an hour to go until deadline thinking I've got absolutely nothing and my life depended on coming up with a decent story, she is the person I would most um, uh, trust to, to de- deliver something. Yeah, look, she, has, she is an incredible newsbreaker and her her pure journalistic skills are as good as any journalist I've ever worked with, and I mean that with absolute sincerity. Does she still write for the Oaks? Yeah, she does a Saturday column because, still, and she does their podcast as well. Because I reckon in three months, whoever writes the back page for the Age mm. will also have the honour of writing an article on the second page of the Age. That is now the most meagre newspaper oh, I've ever seen in my life. In terms of size? Yeah, if you write the yeah. back page, it'll also be the back of the front page. Yeah. In other words, it's going to become a, a news, a, sort of a, a flyer. Yes, well, there's some bigger issues there about the future of the print media. All right, that's enough for Media Watch. Uh, let's preview some games. On Footyology, previews with Punch. Okay, nine games, nine previews. Round seven kicks off on Friday evening at Marvel Stadium. Collingwood taking on Port Adelaide. Pies uh, had a bit of a break since that uh, epic Anzac Day win over the Bombers. Port, uh, a win over North at home last week. How good a win? I thought they looked okay, but the last quarter in which they sort of sat back a bit and North really closed the gap, sort of it did take a lot of the gloss off for me. And it, I've still got those nagging doubts in the back of my mind about their uh, mental toughness. That said... They are the sort of side that, if their biorhythms are right, um, can really get on a roll, particularly at a ground like Marvel. And, and when I'm talking about that, I, I guess the image coming back in my mind is that first game when they beat Melbourne at the MCG and just the sort of attacking fast footy they played that night. But I think the Pies can cope with that. Um, I don't think the Pies are quite as good at Marvel as the MCG. I, I think maybe the narrower... Wings don't necessarily help them as much, so whether that's an issue for Port as well. So, look, you know, a surprise, a Port win wouldn't blow my mind, but I just think Collingwood is a better team, and I think they get the points for me. Yeah, Robbie Gray's out for three or four weeks. Yeah, that hurts. I'm going to put a question mark on the dual Ruckman situation, Mm. both at Port and at West Coast. I just don't think you're getting enough out of either Lysette or Ryder. It's almost as though together they're sort of just a bit better than a Ruckman. They need to be twice as good. And it'd be kicking goals and winning in the centre. I don't think that's working. They're a good team because, an exciting team, because they've got these youngsters playing. But so do Collingwood. Collingwood will be without Elliot. But generally, Collingwood have more depth, I think, to cover these situations and other clubs, and I tip Collingwood to win this. Okay, Saturday afternoon starts at the MCG. Melbourne-Hawthorne, uh, the, the old merger match, 23 years on. In fact, I saw the 
a little clip about uh, the merger match which Hawthorne put on Twitter yesterday. Great game that was. Um, anyhow, the positions, well, the positions have changed a fair bit, but Melbourne... I think we both agree, finally, they're gone. 1-5. What a disappointing season. Now no Neville Jetta for a couple of months. Um, They've got a long injury list. Yeah, well... Jack Viney's out. Interesting story about the amount of players who had pre-season surgery and the amount of the pre-season training program that robbed them off. And it's rapidly turning into the sort of season Adelaide had last year for different reasons. Hawthorne... Perhaps fortunate to get over the line uh, down in Launceston against the Blues last week. But, Just escaped. Uh, they did. But, however, they did still turn around a five goals plus deficit, which you've got to give them points for. They know how to win. Uh, another one that sticks in my mind, too, is the absolute thumping they received. Uh, they dealt to Melbourne last year, early in the year, admittedly. But uh, they just seem to know how to handle the Demons, I think, and um, in a year that's just getting steadily worse for Melbourne after a top four finish, I think Hawthorne might this might win this one reasonably comfortably. Yeah, I think Hawthorne will win the game. Melbourne have got problems compounding on problems. I went and saw them against Richmond. Four goals up to 20-minute mark of the first quarter, two more for the game, mm. and I think that is really, that's the pattern for Melbourne. Very difficult to score with that forward line that is not functioning you know you're hoping guys like um, Smith you know he's he's a lot of responsibility now for really their second and third stringers I'm disappointed in Melcham and Petrarca of course so Hawthorne so two more of the pre-season surgery yes group uh, Hawthorne were a bit sketchy against Carlton but then again maybe Carlton are a better team than we give them credit for, or the latter says they are. So I'm happy to tip Hawthorne, and I do so with the drawing of a dagger, because that will officially end Melbourne's season. All right, we concur on two from two so far. Okay, Saturday afternoon in Canberra, GWS taking on your Saints, Finey. Um, this game was a draw last year, wasn't it, at, at Marvel at Stadium? Marvel, yes, it was. And the once fortress that was Canberra, uh, sort of the apple cart upset last time the Giants played there, of course. Frio beating them a couple of weeks back. Uh, what happens in this one? Well, we know that Canberra, of course, is the centre of attention now with an election being called. Let's hope both teams fare better than one nation did during the week. They're in tatters. In not, a shock twist. Yeah, not really. <laughs> <laughs> they can't do anything that tatters. Oh, I don't know. They've got such amazing internal discipline, that party. <laughs> <laughs> I liked what Pauline Hanson says. It's not that he was at the. It's not that he was at the strip club. It was his behaviour there. <laughs> How do you reckon people behave at strip clubs? His behaviour was sexist. I think that pretty much is what they're expected to be. Um, West Coast, oh, pardon me, uh, GWS, the other West, will most likely be without Lockie Whitfield. They wait on fitness tests as we sit here at the moment. Hopeful that Davis and Canilio will play. St Kilda should welcome back Marshall, who was sorely missed against Adelaide. For all of that, I don't think that GWS, who have designs on a top four position, are going to make the same uh, mistake they did against Fremantle, which was... You know what that game almost played out to me as, Rowan? What? You ever seen 2020 matches where teams are sort of cruising and then they get to 
two overs to go and they got 14 runs to get, which really is easy. And it's whoops. But they lose a wicket. Yeah. And then the new guy misses two balls. Yeah. And all of a sudden they need three off the last ball and they smash it and it stopped and they lose. And they sort of, how did we lose that? You mean a bit like the um, Big Bash final last night? Well, that season. was even worse. That was 47 <laughs> runs to win with 10 wickets in hand. But it's again, the runs got away from them, didn't it? Yeah. So... I just felt that that game was poorly managed by GWS. I don't want to be unfair to Fremantle, but GWS got back sort of just in front at three-quarter time, and I think they sort of thought, okay, we've done the hard work, we've won it. Mm. I don't think they'll make the same mistake if it's tight this time. If it's not tight, you've got to think GWS are well ahead. If it is tight, I don't think they're going to make the same mistake. GWS for mine, no problems there. Okay, so we agree on all three. Um, next game on the menu, Brisbane v Sydney at the Gabba. The, now, my mind goes back, you know, when, in Brisbane's glory days. The uh, Dion Scott game. Well. He played for both of them, didn't he? Yeah. Um, but uh, Sydney used to give Brisbane trouble, and I think Brisbane occasionally gave... Sydney trouble once Sydney had sort of ascended to the yeah. top of the... This one's interesting, and you know what? Sydney have been up for so long that every week now I'm looking at them thinking, oh, you know what the Swans will do? Backs to the wall, they'll come out unexpectedly, and if ever there's a game you looked at and thought that's possible, this is probably the one. It's a way... Brisbane are a young side, clearly on the improve, but still a little bit... Um, vulnerable to exploitation if a side sort of gets going early and we saw Essendon do that to them we saw Collingwood do that to them they got back on track last week good confidence builder for them but I, I thought about it in those terms and I thought nah you know what you've got to forget the trends you know this is about the here and now and the the bottom line is that Sydney are shot as a power team they are two one dimensional up forward their midfield lacks um, both the inside grunt that it used to have and the outside pace. Um, and I, I think it's that factor alone that could really be the difference here. I think Brisbane could just end up running them off their legs. And on that basis, uh, I'm going for Brisbane to, to win. I concurred. Remember I said last week there are two absolute truths in football? Uh, I think you say that most weeks, but what were last week's? Well, I forgot one of them because one of them was a humorous aside. Right. As a lead-in to one which I... Was it on point, though, as I'd expect? It was on point. Jesus. Because the second one was there is no such thing as a minor hamstring. Oh, yes. So despite their carrier, it's minor, it's tidy, it's minuscule. (laughs) He could have played, but he's he's already kicked three against Brisbane. Well, he's not playing, is he? And just for those... And he won't play against Essendon either. say who he is. Buddy. Yes. And he's not going to play against Essendon either because you know what they've said this week? Suits me. Yep. It's minor. He'll play against Essendon. Yeah. He won't. So it could be one of it's those ones that goes on for six weeks. Well, Hammy's are three weeks at minimum. Yeah. There's no way around it. They, yeah. they, you know. Why do you think they're doing that? Because... They want to keep the opposition guessing. No, they want to keep, keep their the fans... They want to keep their very <laughs> fickle Sydney fans from finding something else interesting. Oh, yes. uh, the entire Sydney-based Swans fan base, they treat like they've got ADD. Yeah. Like, don't look away. Don't, there's a gecko running up the wall. <laughs> 4,000 people well, left fair the ground. Enough. You know what Sydney's like. So what would they... If, if they knew Buddy was out, what yeah. would they be doing instead rather than watching that game, do you think? What would you do in, uh, as a Sydney fan if you knew Buddy wasn't playing instead? What's a quintessential Sydney thing? You'd go to a, a, a market because it'd be on Sunday afternoon. Pad, you'd go Paddington to the, Market, you'd go to Paddington, uh, which is good. You'd go to Paddington Market, yeah, 
spent four hours there, three hours looking for a parking spot. Yes. <laughs> Half an hour walking from the incredibly, you're sort of closer to your house on the North Shore than you are to Paddington. Yeah. You finally get there. Being a Sydney person, you'll buy one overpriced Batik print. Yeah. And then you'll walk back to your car. Up so many hills, you know how it's really yeah, yeah. hilly and steep. Yeah. About a k from your car, you'll give up and order an Uber. Or you could turn Call around, turn around, just walk to Bondi Beach and throw yourself in. That that appeals. I, I went to Padding, um, Paddington Market on the day of the Wentworth by election last October. It was fascinating. There were about eighteen candidates. And I ended up um, talking to most of them, I think. <laughs> and that was an amazing result. Do you remember? There was like a 17% swing. I could, have had, I could have had sex for the first time the day that John Kerr stood on the steps of Parliament, or Gough Whitlam stood on the steps of Parliament. You were 10. I'm just saying. Okay. That I'm saying if I was having sex on the day that something famous happened in Australian politics, yeah. I, I wouldn't remember the po- political part. How can you re- equate things to by-elections? Well, because... I wouldn't know what happened on the day of a by-election. Well, because it's not often you go to a place for the first time and you're completely surrounded by electoral paraphernalia. But those... Oh, it's election time coming up. Karen Phelps, of course, won that uh, election and is uh, proving a very worthwhile contributor and that was to Wentworth. our parliament. That, that was for Wentworth. Malcolm Turnbull's old suit. Well, if I was a female running for Wentworth, you know what my slogan would be? Oh, I know. This is a prisoner reference, isn't oh, it? Thanks, no, go man. on. Sorry. What would it be? You big vinegar tits. Oh, I was going to say bloody screws. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> <laughs> so who are you tipping? Brisbane. Brisbane. Okay, we're both going for Brisbane. That wasn't a bad uh, tangent. Uh, Wag stuff, if you're listening. Stuart. Um, <laughs> Willem who? Willem Drew. Um, Western, Willem Drew. Western Bulldogs <laughs> taking on Richmond um, at Marvel Stadium Saturday evening. I'll be there, Finey. Oh, and I'll be there pre-match for 3AW. Oh, incidentally, 3AW Saturday night footy coverage. Roco Goes Retro begins this Saturday night on AW. Bigger build-up than Game of Thrones, this segment. What do you have to do? Oh, we're revisiting great footy moments of yesteryear. From Western Bulldogs, Richmond? Uh, not necessarily. Oh, talk about Dizzy Lynch. Oh, well, the one, I, the one, the obvious one that comes to mind, and it was the same round too. Round 7, 2001, the Matthew Knights, Tony Liberatore, oh, blood on Stoush. The- Blood on the wicket. Yeah, and uh, Danny Frawley, every dog has his day. Um, anyway, let's I talk. Was co- I was covering that game for AFL.com.au. Were you really? Yeah. I, I used to well, go not there. from the press box, mate, because no, no, I no. covered it. No, no. We the, I used to have a cameraman, and we used to go into the rooms after the games there you come. for AFL.com.au. So I, even like 10 years before I met you, I saw you. Yeah. Yeah, correct. Obviously. I used to, I used to see... Uh, a younger, thinner Rowan Connolly. Obviously proved a very unremarkable experience. No, it was great. For me, it was great. It was my entree into sort of footy media. But, I, you know, being AFL.com.au, you got access to both teams. Yeah. My favourite ever interview was Shane Wobodin. Why? It was the last game of one of those seasons. Not yeah. the year he won the Brownlow, the year after. Yeah. Well, that was he won the Brownlow in 2000. 2000. Yeah. So, 2001. so it was the end of that season. Yeah. And I said, um, look, it's been a tough year and tough for, tough for the club and tough for the... In, and probably tougher for you this year, but you finished on a, on a bright note. And you know what he said to me? What? Get stuffed? 27 possessions. That's 22 kicks and five handballs I had. He said that, did he? Yeah. 
and I asked him, I said, do you keep count? He goes, yeah. Mm. I, re- I do remember... A he, kept, f- he kept count. I do remember, it wasn't a final, actually. That was another Melbourne player, but a, a big game. Might have been Queen's birthday game they played in, and they were getting absolutely flogged, and Shane kicked a pretty good goal from the boundary line and did the sort of big salute yeah. to the members and whatever, and I thought, ooh, that's not a good look. <laughs> anyway, let's get back to 2019. Bulldogs and Richmond. I thought the Doggies were a lot better in uh, Perth against Freo last week. Um, yeah, the effort was certainly better. They're, they're still pretty dysfunctional up forward. Nothing though. up there. No, no, Aaron Norton, that's sort of the old Norton. defender turned forward, novelty value, and then it wears off. Uh, Billy Gower's really, really struggling. Um, just can't generate enough scores. And, and they're so inaccurate as well. They've kicked, last couple of weeks, they've kicked, what, 7, 15 and 9, 15 or something? That's absurd. Um, and they, Richmond, they should be times that the train comes, not football scores. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Tigers, uh, after some early jitters and despite injuries, bowling along beautifully. And now Jack Rewalt out. I'm not sure exactly how long he's Eight out for. Old, hang on, sorry. I'm Except just, with Tom Brown. Yeah, I was about to ring Tom Brown and ask him. Yeah. Um, Griggs out for the year, I reckon. Uh, yeah, well, Close a lot two. of concern over him. But, you know, they are proving that they now have sufficient depth to cover those injuries. And I think there's a bit of a theory the Tigers aren't as good at Marvel, but I, I'm not sure that's right. They disposed of Sydney pretty efficiently there two weeks ago. Uh, Tigers for me. Yeah, look, uh, six weeks in, uh, after some encouraging starts by some upstarts, it's pretty much looking like... Top of the ladder bound Richmond Collingwood Geelong, doesn't it? Just... Uh, at this stage, yeah. Yeah, with a, a number guess, of contenders uh, yeah, a with little really, bit further below. Them. If you look at Collingwood, they've played a lot of good teams already yeah. and they're four and two. And Richmond are just getting into their work nicely. Yes, I know. Now, I couldn't agree more. Now, you know what? Uh, dare I say it? Oh, I shouldn't really say because he's a ripper player, but because they're so used to having one key forward. And I watched the Richmond-Melbourne game. When he was playing with Lynch, it just doesn't work anyhow at the moment until they can get that right. Except the first goal was great. Oh, you're going the better off without Rewalt line? No, not te- not the worst player to lose. Right. Okay, at this stage. A beautiful first goal where Rewalt looked like he was going for the mark and then just sort of turned his body, not blocking, but managed to... Just really do a, a genuine dummy. I've very rarely seen this in football. Going for the mark, dummy, didn't go for it. Lynch marked it. Yeah. Beautiful play. Didn't happen much after that. So I don't think he's the worst loss at the moment. I, they'd be more concerned if they lost a Shane Edwards at the moment. I think they'll win this game. Actually, who's the one player they can't afford to lose? There is one player. Toby Nankervis. Correct. Um, Richmond for mine. Yeah, same here. Don't, just very quickly, I'm hurrying myself up here, Wagstaff. Please take note. Um, <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you make one more reference to Wagstaff. No, I like Wagstaff. I'll be calling... Sorry, Wagstaff, if you are um, listening. No, I, I like Wagstaff's posts. He's and, good. and Ugly Dave, if you're listening. Ugly Dave Gray, yes. And <laughs> who was the... Ugly Dave Mustache. Who was the... Um, oh, <laughs> where's my cigar? Yeah. No, I was going to say, yeah, to your... Um, to your Better off without rewalt line. I love that. That any time a star player leaves a team and and that team consequently holds its form or plays well, there is the inevitable. Are they actually better yeah. off? And I wrote one of them about Adelaide after Dan- the season Dangerfield yeah. left because they were going all right. It's just inevitable. You know, I, the one I want to see is um, uh, heaven doing even better without God now that God's left. 
I, I thought you were an atheist. I am. Oh, well, it fits the bill. Well, we've still got to cater to the believers who will have been highly offended by that anyway and now won't be listeners anyway, so I don't know why I did that. According to a comedian I watched during the week, smokers go to heaven. <laughs> why? Um, Saint Peter's smoke at, rises. St. Peter's at the gates. He goes, come in, smokers, come in. They're not those clouds. They're... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, all right, so uh, what game is that? Richmond. Uh, West Coast, Gold Coast. I think we can dispense with this one. Pretty quickly, the Gold Coast bubble has burst. Yeah, coast to coast, station to station. Can we play that? I'm living in America. James Brown. Oh, yeah. Coast to coast. Living in America. Nation to nation, station to station. Uh, Coast to coast. We'll find out at the end of the show. Yeah, coast to coast. I got the boast. I got the team that has the most. That's Muhammad Ali. At the end of the game, Gold Coast. (laughs) You be toast. <laughs> That's good. Um, mind you, yeah, we we should address. I'm this. tipping the host. Yeah, <laughs> that ain't no boast. Just as well, it's not Anzac Day. We would have had the last post. Um, what's happened to West Coast? Uh, darling, no good. Yeah, no, he's having a shocker. Uh, Chris Marston struggling. Miss, definitely missing little Willie Rioli down there. Yeah, Liam Ryan is great for the highlight reel, but needs to do more. Yeah. Two Ruckman, I don't think are working. Hickey is. Hickey's okay. Yeah. Well, they dropped Vardy, didn't they? Yeah. Their spread of midfield isn't isn't contributing. Hutchings isn't. Barras is a bit of a loss. Yeah, he is. And they will enjoy an easy kill, as they say in racing, when Gold Coast turn up. I think they will as well, West Coast for me. All right, on to Sunday. Carlton, North Melbourne at Marvel Stadium. Now, this... They tried to buy North, remember those days? Oh, yes. So that always fires the ruse up. Nice. However, uh, the ruse in a pretty ordinary place right now, second last on the ladder, yeah. just not clicking for them. The Blues are playing really good footy, just not getting to the line, apart from that one win over the Bulldogs. And you look at this, and in form, you'd have to be tipping the Blues. Um, so who are you tipping? North Melbourne. And why is that? I don't. Like, now the teams aren't out and they've given Cruiser a rough chance of playing, but I believe he's going to miss a week. Mm-hmm. Simpson's out for three. Newman's out for three. Now, Simpson and Newman have been central to their backline structure. Yep. Cruiser not playing. You're taking a big cut in output and return with Lobie. Sorry, young man. And for a team like Carlton... I know that their form reads quite well, but they, I think the last thing that they're in the position to do at the moment is start favourite in a game of football. That I've, feeling, I've got a feeling they are, most people are tipping them and it's one that people think they should win and that's often not a good place for a side that doesn't know how to win. True. I've got a bit of a theory that if you keep um, going close, you know, if you're a, a, a side that is down the ladder... And you keep getting close and not coming up trumps. It either goes two ways. You either break the ice with a thumping win or it all falls apart. Now, Carlton isn't quite in that boat because they have broken the ice already and had that win over the Bulldogs, which by rights they should should have followed up with a win last week. And that first quarter, that is quite seriously the best quarter of footy I've seen a Carlton side play since the elimination final win over Richmond in 2013. 
Um, so I think their form is good enough. There's a good point about the injuries. Uh, they certainly don't have a heap of depth, so that'll test them. But North, they just they appear directionless at the moment. I can't work out what they're trying to do with the footy. Too many, um, too many players just not doing enough. No, and uh, they've got real issues up forward too. Ben, poor Benny Brown, he's carried the load and it's really taken a toll on his confidence. So this is a sort of game where I generally... And Higgins comes back this week. Oh, yeah. Yeah, good return. This is a sort of game where I generally tip north. But I, Carlton, I have to. I, I feel like I deserve to reward them for their efforts so far and so I'm yeah, tipping the Blues. Okay, we... We differ, differ on one. And by the way, last week, well done to you, eight. Yes. What did you get? Six. Well, I know there was bad last outsiders. week. Yeah, well, Carlton would have got me to seven and would have cost a lot of people one. Uh, so, so what's the tally? 33 28. Okay. You've All right. Pulled back a couple. I've still got a bit of ground to make up. All right. Second game on Sunday. Easily the match of the round this. Geelong taking on oh, Essendon. Sorry, it's 33-29. 33-29. You got eight, didn't you? Yep. You were on 21. Okay. 33-29. I'm glad you've written this all down all and written. it's not just sort of festering in your head and if on scrap doubts, bits of paper. I, I bet if I go home you. and demand to see your files, I'm just going to see a heap of torn out bits of notebooks and stuff, aren't I? It's the, um, what's the one from Seinfeld? The, the George... Had that company file that, that oh um, what was that company called yeah um, it'll come to me you tell me what's going to happen in Geelong Essendon well what a great game this is you know Essendon, Mandalay no no that Vandalay was Vandalay his, that was his fake company <laughs> oh, okay go on Carl will look it up for yeah. us yeah it's the Costanza file it's a great it's an actual company all right come on okay oh gee Essendon were very good against Collingwood look I I for three three to win the flag I thought Collingwood threw everything at them, mm-hmm. had a good lead, mm. and Essendon, oh, look, it was a real pendulum swing at the end. So they have shown that they can play. You bet they can. They're right back. Their mojo's back. Geelong also have been shown that they are, as we've said many times, the most versatile team in the competition once the game starts. The whiteboarded Geelong can be swung many ways. I'd, I'd love to tip Essendon in this, and I will. And why will I tip Essendon? Because for the same reason you tip Carlton. I think that they've earned the right to be tipped. In. They've earned your it's, tip. This is at the MCG. It, it is. Well, Where they beat Geelong last it's year. It's the right place for them to be playing them. Yep. For all their good efforts in turning around a bad start to three and two, they do not want to be three and four. It starts making the top four difficult to get to. Mm. And I think they're a good enough team with enough self-belief and with Danaher back and primed, cocked like a pistol at full forward. I'm going to tip the Bombers in an upset. Okay. Oh, no, it's a fair enough tip. Um, this was the game, equivalent game last year where the Bombers turned around. Of course, it was round nine, not round seven. But after being two and six, uh, they beat up on Geelong at the G and uh, in a Saturday twilight game and turned their season around. Um, and you're right. Everything you've said is right. I think uh, they showed another... String to their bow last week in Anzac Day, which was, you know, we we get used to them getting on a roll and, and that sort of fast, irresistible running game. But they really toughed out that Anzac Day game, and I, I, that's a sort of streak of resilience that we haven't been associating with Eston sides for a long time. So that was impressive. Having said that, I think the Cats have been more impressive. I mean, you know, they've been, let's have a look. They've beaten three of last year's top four. They've beaten both grand finalists. 
beat up on on the Premier and beaten another member of the top four in Melbourne. Yep. Um, and their one loss was by less than a goal to GWS, yeah. albeit at home. Yep. And they're far more flexibility. I think Essendon, you know, and no slight on Essendon's defence, but Geelong have so many options in that forward setup now. Um, my other big if about the Bombers this week is the their forward setup because it might sound strange, but I think Mitch Brown is a big loss, and they don't have. Uh, they really don't have a replacement key forward because Zach Clark. He's out. He's, <laughs> he's out. Mitch Brown's out for a month. Federazio's back, isn't he? Uh, he is, but he's not a key forward. Mitch Brown's out for a month. Yeah. Really Kerry's unfortunate because he's playing the best footy of his career. Um, Sean McKernan, and this happens often with him. He was playing really well. He's out for another six weeks. And James Stewart, who's a bit of a forgotten man, but he's got a hamstring injury as well. I think it's hamstring. Jimmy Stewart. So um, so there's three potential uh, key forwards down. They really haven't got an alternative. So that worries me. It puts a lot of responsibility in the lap of Danaher. And uh, can he turn on a, a third decent game in a row uh, on the comeback trail? Well, yes, he could. I just think balance of probabilities leads me to tip the cats in this one. Not by a lot, and I think it'll be a great game. Final game of round seven. The big one, finally. Adelaide taking on Fremantle at Adelaide Oval. 4.10 local time, Sunday afternoon. How many Victorians do you reckon will just <laughs> get hear the final siren lesson in Geelong and find out Adelaide Fremantle score in the paper the next day? Uh, possibly a few, but it's very important to note, and we have regular correspondents on Footyology who remind me of this. Yeah, we deal with Australia-wide. We have an Australia-wide audience. It's a national competition. This game deserves every bit as much attention as all the others. And it is quite an appetising game, because Frio, you know, look, they've been the second on the ladder of Frio. True. Who would have tipped that? And the Crows, I think there's a, you know, I, I hesitate to say it yet, but there's two wins in a row for the Crows, and uh, whilst the margin was less against St Kilda last week than against Gold Coast, I thought they played better. And I yeah. thought the longer the game went, the better they looked, particularly Tex Walker. And that's so important for them to have a confident Tex Walker playing. Yeah. Gives Fremantle a few headaches. But Fremantle's tall backmen actually are very good. They're good stoppers. They're not... Oh, the likes of Hamling and... Pierce. Pierce. They're good players. And Ryan, the other elder. Luke Ryan. Ryan. So they've got some... Oh, is that that blonde guy? I couldn't wait since bleached. he dyed his hair. Yeah, he's, he's done a Guelphie. He's done a... Yeah, he and Guelphie's done a Ryan. Do you reckon... Hey, he and Guelphie could team up and do a cover version of Bross. Remember Bross? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> they could. Or Billy Idol. And they'd be laughed at. Yeah. <laughs> so, Fremantle might have coverage there. You just tend to say that these two teams, this is a classic game played in Adelaide, and I'll tip Adelaide played in Perth or you know WA, and I'll tip Fremantle, which is yeah. what I'm going to do. I'm going to tip Adelaide. But as we know, home grounds have not been fortresses this year, so Fremantle didn't mind going to Canberra. Mm. Maybe they could... If they won this game, do we start taking them seriously, or do we still think they're vulnerable because they don't score enough? Um, no, I think if they won this, you'd have to take them seriously. They'd be two seriously good road wins. Of course, this game, a rematch of the famous 2012 qualifying final. I remember that game. Yeah, I don't really. I do. Uh, Freo were a pretty game, but I think Adelaide won by about 
three goals or so. Yeah, I'm, I'm, there was, it was a, Ross Lyon's first season as Freo coach. Yeah, but that Pavlix was playing. Yeah, and I don't think he was outstanding. Right. Okay. Is that my memory is correct in that game? There was a bit of Pavlix criticism after the game. Um, I don't know. Totally. I, I, I'm going to check it. But by the way, the file that I am. You you claim reticent in keeping. Yes, is equivalent to the Penske file that George <laughs> kept without a single piece of paper in it while working for a company. Okay, it was all in his head. No, he just wasn't doing it. But he just <laughs> oh, was yeah. doing the the pretend. Yeah, I got, you know, he was he was putting other bits of paper in there and shuffling it. Oh, was that like when he was? Uh, remember well, what's his name? Stein Brenner or whatever made him? Wasn't he CEO of the Yankees or something? Yeah, he was general manager. General so, manager of yeah. the Yankees. Yeah. Until he got them to change their uniform for breezier uniforms and they fell apart while they were playing. <laughs> All right, so getting back on uh, topic, we're both going for Adelaide. Correct? I am. Okay, I am too. All right, let's wrap it up. On Footyology, the final word. Okay, Finey, I can see you scrolling through your phone looking for inspiration on this. No, I know you already know what you're doing. I'm going first. Uh, final word for me. Uh, it's a favourite round of mine, round seven. Why is it round seven a favourite round, you ask? Well, because it's um, those who follow tipping and the business of football prognostication might be familiar with the round seven rule, which uh, Graham Bond, formerly of 3RW Football, introduced me to about 15 years ago. And uh, finally, it's a very uh, reasonably reliable barometer. And basically, the rule of thumb is if you're not in the top eight, after seven rounds, there is every chance you won't be. To wit, in the last 18 years, Mark, desperately yeah. trying to get your attention I here. am listening intently. In the last 18 years, only once has the composition of the eight changed by more than two teams, and that was in 2012. Yes. And even then, the three teams that came in were the three teams that immediately after round seven were just outside the eight. Uh, only twice in a 10-year period, um, I think 2002 to 2011, was there even more than one change to the top eight. There's been uh, there's been a bit more fluid in recent years. I think four of the last five years has been two changes to the eight. But there you go, in nearly two decades, never more than two changes, which is pretty interesting this year, Finey, when you look at the current top eight, in is St Kilda, Brisbane, Fremantle, and Port Adelaide. Get ready for a get ready for the exception. Outside is uh, Melbourne in bottom place, Sydney in sixteenth place, West Coast twelfth, and Hawthorne. So one of two things is going to happen: we're going to have an incredibly different looking um, final eight, and uh, all our uh, punditry is going to be thrown out the window. Either that. Or we're going to see the shattering of the um, previously reliable round seven rule. I think the shattering may occur. That was a long final word, but uh, anyway, I think it's an interesting weekend. 2012 final between Fremantle and Adelaide. Pavlich was disappointing. Well, good good recall. Ten disposals, one goal. Okay, what's your final word? Okay, my final word, as I mentioned earlier on in the program, I watched a bit, immersed myself in a bit of... um, Footies from footy from days gone by. Yes, over the last couple of days, mm. do yourself a favour, Molly. Look up on YouTube the nineteen seventy three State of Origin game between Victoria and South Australia. Oh, at Adelaide Oval. Yeah. Oh boy, is there some? If you 
think for a moment that the players from days gone by weren't as skillful, talented as today. You're wrong. You are going to see some brilliant football. And I'm saying you're going to think to yourself, they were better than the modern player. And I think, um, oh, good, I haven't seen that previously. But I've got a memory that uh, Jezza played really well and Victoria won narrowly. Jezza kicked 10 and, and, and Victoria, Victoria won, won narrowly. narrowly. Spoiler alert. And it was on a um, it was on a Saturday when there were other games being played. So look for these players. Oh, boy, Robren. Now, we got told, that he, Robin, we yeah. told he was a great player. You'll see it. Oh, Corns, yeah. fantastic. Okay, you want to see those two players in action. Uh, I've often talked about this game. And the... That grand final. 73 SANFL grand yeah. final, North Adelaide and Glenelg. Absolute classic, which I ended up buying on video. I was so wrapped in it. But uh, Graham Corns just takes an absolute specky to win that game for them. There was a player that came to Victoria. He was an abject failure. But people in the know will tell you he came here with a bad knee and we never saw him play properly. Dean Farnham. Oh, yeah. The yeah. tallest man in football was yeah. good. Yeah. Thompson, great. Yeah. And a guy, I don't know why he never played in the... VFL. I'd never even heard of him really. He kicked five goals from a half forward flank called Marker. Peter Marker. Yeah, he oh, he went gee, on a bit. Well, he became their great commentator. Oh, what a good footballer! Yeah, yeah. Um, I can't remember what club he was, but he was like their. He became their leading football commentator. He was like Lou Richards over there. And an ex VFL player starred in the seventy one grand final. Now, I never knew he was this good a player. Bob Keddie played well, yeah, yeah. 35 touches and strong. Great football. Please watch it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I will. In fact, I'm going to do that right now after I um, go past Andrews and get some lunch whilst I'm watching the old 73 clash. And you could be watching it on a flat screen TV, part of your remake by Nick Spartel and Hardwick Co., the builders to the best. We're going to head to Andrews, help them celebrate their 80th birthday, and catch up with our listeners when. And we're going to uh, we're going to give some uh, giveaways on Sunday. There'll be a t-shirt and a cap to be won, and you can be in the running on Sunday. We'll tell you how to have lunch with Rowan Connolly and my fine. I hope that attracts people. Finding doesn't turn them away. I've got my doubts. I'll tell you what. If you do. Make sure you count your chips before you get to the table. (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope your team gets a win this week in Round 7. We'll be back on Sunday evening to wrap up Round 7 in its entirety. Make sure you stay tuned for that. Uh, And the first of our competitions with giveaways from Andrew's Hamburgers, the best hamburger in town. Thanks for listening for everyone. What's our musical reference this week? Well, we talked about it earlier. It's the Soul Man, James Brown. Super high.